0: You're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Golden Calves and Sacred Cows.
1: After 40 intense days with God, Moses descended Mount Sinai, his nerves shot. No sooner had he reached the base of the mountain than he heard music coming from a nearby clearing. Peering through the trees... Moses saw the children of Israel praying to what appeared to be a crudely sculpted golden calf. They danced and pranced, flounced, frisked, strutted and swaggered, all hopped up on idol worship. Cranky by disposition, but made even more irritable by lack of sleep, Moses began to weep tears of anger. Even the people he trusted, the wise, loyal ones, tapping their feet and snapping their fingers like it was a hootenanny. Golden calves were all the rage, but Moses had warned them before he left. I'll be down in a jiff, he had said, so don't start praying until I get back. Seeing their lurid dance, Moses took the tablets he was carrying, bearing commandments that, among other things, commanded them to worship no other god but God-God, and dropped them to the ground. Though Moses could get angrier than just about anyone besides God, he dropped the tablets, not in his wrath. For Moses, this was odd, as he ate, spoke, slept, and even snored in his wrath. He could even whistle a tune in his wrath. But when he left the tablets fall to the earth, he did it like an overburdened little kid who just didn't care anymore. That was when Moses was at his scariest, when he was all quiet and holding back. And so when with tightly closed eyes and a warble in his voice, he instructed the idol-worshipping children of Israel to burn the calf, grind it to powder, mix the powder with water, and drink it. They did not ask, Can gold burn? or Can gold be drunk? as they did not want to make Moses any angrier than he already was. Zero commandments for you, he repeated quietly under his breath. You would think that that would spell the end for golden calves, but this was not the case. There was still one man holding out hope, a man who thought monotheism just another fad. And this man's name was Gomer, and he was the largest golden calf dealer in the Sinai region. And much to his son Ian's embarrassment, he had a real never-say-die attitude. they'll come around,' Gomer said to his son soon after the commandment episode." An invisible God that no one can see except Moses? Oh, and he's also got a temper problem. Likes to make threats and burn bushes. How do you even begin to pray to someone like that? I don't want to pray like a frightened mouse. I want to pray as one equal to another. And all those laws, don't wear this cloth with that cloth, don't let this cattle graze with that cattle, all that red tape, not for me. But the God of Moses did make a splash with a great many people. When Moses got going, waving his staff around while yelling bloody murder, curing leprosy and transforming his rod into a snake, he made a pretty persuasive case. People became fired up on New God and began forming mobs of protest in front of Gomer's showroom. But still, Gomer was undeterred. "'Business is business,' he said to his son as they watched the crowd grow through a crack in the door. "'Is there a commandment that says thou shalt regulate trade?' No way. Remember when they said "candy mondi Mano was sacrilege? I wrote it out, and two weeks later I was selling it on a stick. It was true Ian's father was an innovator. When he got into the business, it was strictly cows, full-grown. But Gomer saw that as homes got smaller, there was a need for, need for an idol that could fit more neatly into a corner, something you could drape a caftan over and prop your feet on when you weren't worshipping. And thus, the mini-cow, or calf was born. What makes the God of Moses better than my calves? Gomer asked. What can he do that they can't? Speak in that sonorous voice that makes you feel like you just swallowed your own tonsils? Bullcrap. That's not being a God. That's just being pushy. The calf is a more laid-back cud-chewing lord. He minds his own business and only steps in in a pinch. Remember when I prayed for the SOB selling silver calves next door to get dropsy? And did he not get dropsy? All praise the golden bovine whose gold trumps silver, whose golden teats nourish us with invisible golden milk." Gomer stopped his pantomime of teat squeezing and looked at his son to see if he was making an impression. On nights when he was unable to sleep, Gomer would wander into the store and pat around barefoot, touching cows, thinking about gold. And how he had so much of it. It was a good feeling. In a world constantly in flux, gold was for sure. That was why Gomer loved golden calves. Gold was the only thing that was clear in a world of shadows. Other things you had to worry about, love, life, they they disappeared. But gold was as real as it got. It was like it derived its value from a spiritual realm, a realm that humans could not see, but could never refute. But you heard Moses talk on the mountain, Ian said. The deep, grumbly voice, the water into blood. It gave everyone the same feeling. We all said so. The tingling in the chest, the rattling of the rib cage. You said you felt it, too. You know me, Gomer said. I don't want to hurt feelings. If, so- if someone gets excited, I get excited, too. But someone does a few magic tricks and you renounce everything you ever stood for? I was born a golden calf man, and I shall die a golden calf man. Integrity. It's the way my daddy raised me. And if I'm not mistaken, it's how I raised you. Actually, Gomer had raised him to be cheap, suspicious, and sneaky. Ian didn't know where integrity fit in. They'll come around, Gomer maintained. But as the days went by, and the angry crowds grew in number, Gomer saw that people were not coming around. What we need is a battle plan, he said. And so, Gomer invited over, his brothers. A bigger bunch of shysters, hoodwinkers, and chicanerous pettifoggers there never was. Ian hated when they all got together. In five minutes the whole house smelled of burps, and his cheeks were pinched black and blue. Brother number one sold discount winnowing shovels that broke the second you winnowed. Brother number two was a professional angel spotter. Look, there's one right behind you, he'd cry. Oh, you just missed him. And brother number three was a bookie who took bets on the weather. Every time Ian saw him, he'd grab him by the sleeve and try to explain something called the sunny day trifecta. Three rainy days in a row, or you box it with one sunny day and two rainy. But then you end up getting some jerk telling you he felt drops. But drops ain't rain. Ian, wanting to avoid the ordeal of their visit, offered to voyage out to the wilderness of Sin to purchase dried fruit. But Gomer told him to stay put. I have a whole warehouse full of the golden SOBs, said Gomer, for this was the way he talked when he was with his brothers. It was SOB this, SOB that, and SOBing son of an SOB the other. We have to tactically leverage this, said brother number one. We have to rebrand, added brother number two. When they were all together, they became one big fat we. Ian would try to get into the spirit of it and we along with them, but his wees always got caught in his throat. The name Golden Calf scares people, said brother number three gravely. We could start calling them festive cows. But golden calf is a name the public knows, Gomer reminded them. We have to distance ourselves from all that, said Brother Number One. We can sell cow clothes. Dress them up in the latest styles. Tunics, prayer shawls, princess golden cow for girls. Slap a beard on the SOB and you've got a Moses cow. We'll call him Moses. It's still a golden calf, said Ian. It's just different names for what it is an idol. Just a different name, said Brother Number Two. Look at the weeping willow. Would you seek its shade were it called an overflowing barf bucket bush? Then Ian felt his cheek clamped, twisted, pulled, and finally snap back into place. Jackass, his uncle said with affection. During the Ten Plagues, If the brothers had lived in Egypt and had owned a boat shack, they'd have gone out into the streets, pitching, the very night the rivers turned to blood. But have you tasted the waters, they'd exclaimed, licking their chops. My hand to raw, cherry borscht. They'd have seen each of the nine ensuing plagues as nine distinct business opportunities. Cursed darkness? Let's make babies night. Hail mixed with fire? Refreshing joy nuggets and fun-time ouchy bolts. "'Can't we just melt them down and get into a new business?' asked Ian. "'What kind of new business?' Brother Number 1 asked, pinching his cheek with warmth. "'Something a little less... contentious,' said Ian. "'Gomer and his brothers decided that melting down the idols was not an option, since half their value was in the craftsmanship. For the brothers the case was closed, but Ian still worried. When he'd go outside to try and calm the agitated crowd he'd end up learning a lot about New God. New God had made man in his own image, and his resume was really impressive. Divided the heavens from the earth, made man from the dust, created the universe. The list went on and on. "'What can your your God do?' the crowd demanded. "'Never any good under the gun,' Ian stuttered and backpedaled. "'You can polish him,' he said. "'And lean against him, too.' The golden calf is strictly local, said an intense and scholarly-looking young man named Rodney. Ram-headed sun gods, hawk-bodied earth gods. It's so childish. But your lord, said Ian, what do you call him? God? You mustn't even speak his actual name, interrupted Rodney. He doesn't like it. So we've invented nicknames for him, such as he who will kill you, he who will crush you and he who will set you on fire and douse the flames with the blood of those you love. You really have to be careful, because he hears all and sees all. Ian felt new God's gaze upon him all the time now, especially when he was lying in bed. He was scared of this new God, and sometimes even believed he could smell him. When there was burning in the air, he pictured the angry smoke escaping new gods' ears. He worried that every little thing he did, every word that escaped his lips, was ticking off new god in some way. It was too much to bear. The consummate god is a forgiving god, they said on the street. Still, he was scared, for himself and for his father. And then the rioting began. No more idols, they chanted. Our God trumps all gods. Gomer remained unimpressed. He felt protected by the calf. For such a powerful God, Gomer said, Invisible God is surprisingly thin-skinned. Ours is a jealous God, said Ian. Gomer was struck silent by his son's words. He stared at Ian a good long time. As a rule, Gomer was never nonplussed but his son's words, they nonplussed him. "'I see,' Gomer said, nervously massaging coins through the thin leather of his money pouch. "'So now he's your god.' "'There's no choice,' Ian said. "'He's taking over.' "'But what about graven images?' asked Gomer. "'With your new god, there'll be none of that. "'And you love a good graven image.' "'I don't get it. "'When you were little, you adored the god of your father.' Gomer reached over and pinched his son's cheek with sadness. What happened? he asked. He's omnipotent, said Ian, using a word he just learned from Rodney. He can outfight, outthink, and outrace any god you throw at him. Look, I'll get my brothers back in here and we'll cook up a new god. Newer than new god. We'll, we'll call him Omnipotent Plus One. This is embarrassing, Ian said it's also dangerous. I didn't realize I was embarrassing you, Gomer said, his pinching fingers limp. That night Gomer remained in the showroom pacing from calf to calf, ruminating. What is there for a father to pass down to a son if not his God, Gomer wondered. He did not like this new God, he was uncanny, grandiose, and bloodthirsty. But Gomer could also sense that he might actually have staying power. Even Ra couldn't work a crowd like this guy. And so, the very next day, he brought in the alchemists with their enormous black cauldrons. He knew it would likely mean taking a tremendous beating on the value, and he knew it could mean having to shout his brothers down. But Gomer vowed that every last golden hawk and udder would be melted. His new idea was to remold the gold into long, thin wands with pointing little index fingers at the tip. We'll market them as commandment pointers, said Gomer, to help you read the word of God. You know, God-God. The brothers mulled it over. After a long silence, they spoke. Give the people what they want, said Brother Number One, who knew when to stand down. Gold is gold, said Brother Number Two. Yep, said brother number three distractedly, for in his mind he was already onto a dozen other hog swindles. and watched the calves melt, their little calf faces poking out of the pots, looking at him. They made him feel almost as guilty as the sight of his father's face, which was wet and glowing in the heat of the showroom. When he was a child, Ian could pray so hard, harder than anyone he knew. It was his thing. He'd squint his eyes and scrunch up his face. He looked like he was going to burst a blood vessel, his hands in fists, hoping, willing, the world to be a certain way, for the house to quiet down, for good things to happen, for Gomer to notice what a good prayer he was. When he would finish praying, and he'd look around, and the world was pretty much the way it had always been, the one thing he knew he could rely on was that the calf was keeping count, giving out points for effort. At least the calf knew how hard he was trying. New God made sense to him, but the calf made sense to his heart. It was such a part of his childhood, like the smell of certain foods or the tunes his father whistled when they took long walks together. As the years wore on, Ian would often invite Gomer to come and pray with him to new God and Gomer would tag along and pray but Ian could always tell his father was just doing it to make him happy when Gomer finally died it was at a ripe old age and when Ian prayed for him prayed for his safe passage in the hereafter inevitably it was often the calf that he saw Please don't think of the calf, he would say to himself, as he prayed. But the harder he prayed and thought about trying not to think about the calf, the more the calf would enter his thoughts and prayers. After some years had passed, Ian eventually got used to the intrusions and just stopped trying to fight them. In his mind, he imagined his golden man-headed cow, or cow-headed man, and he just prayed the best he could.
0: Johnny. I just listened to your show about the golden calf and it gave me an idea. Great new idea for your show. But this idea is like a soap bubble in the wind, so call me back because it's going to burst and then I'm going to lose it. Johnny, are you there? Pick up. In the bathtub? Making your own hummus again? What, are you feeding your cat? What Are you on a date? You got a hot date? Hello, ladies. (laughs) Come on, Johnny. Give me a call. Hello?
1: Hey, Gregor. What's your idea?
0: You know, I hear a tone in your voice that sounds like you got your gloves in front of your face. You're afraid I'm going
1: to take a swing at you. Because I know what happens whenever you have your ideas for my radio show.
0: What did I you always
1: to? end up tearing apart the whole program. and
0: You dialed the wrong number to hear that. All this aggression towards you is going to be directed outward in the service of the common good. I'm not going to pick on you anymore. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: All right. Okay, so what's your idea?
0: I've listened to your show before. Yeah, Cows, you were talking something about cows.
1: It, it, it was about the golden calf.
0: And it got me thinking.
1: Did you yeah. even listen to the show?
0: Shaw, it got me thinking. Mm-hmm. Why don't I do a segment on your show called Sacred Cows, where I kind of take the wind out of some sacred cows. I mean, look, look around you. Every day, what do you see? Uh, People worshipping sacred cows. Yeah. So I'm going to be the guy who comes and smashes them.
1: Mm-hmm. I would
0: have like a consumer advocacy corner. So every week there would just be like an opportunity to take on a sacred cow. Like, you know how you cut into a tomato on your cutting board? Yeah. You just put your shirt on and it squirts seeds out at you? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing I'm going to take on on your
1: show. You're going to take on tomatoes?
0: Most people just lay back and be passive about it. They're like, oh, another white shirt destroyed by tomato juice squirting out of the tomato when I cut it.
1: And so what are you suggesting?
0: I'm suggesting that I have the courage to go after big tomato interests. And
1: what, what what are they going to do for
0: you? What do you think? We put a man on the moon. We can't fix a tomato. They can make a tomato that doesn't squirt seeds out. You remember Watergate? Yeah. They would follow the money trail. Mm-hmm. The soap detergent companies, the dry cleaners, and the tomato makers are all in cahoots. H- how? Because every time you cut open a tomato and it squirts on your shirt, you've got to go to the dry cleaners. Kaching. That's another $5 in the pockets of big tomato interests. You know why you don't understand this argument? is because you don't dry clean your clothes, do you? Wait, hang on
1: a second. So do you even wash your clothes? You're, you're actually saying that the tomato people and the detergent people are in cahoots. Yes, of course they're in cahoots. Of course, right?
0: I don't appreciate you mocking me, Johnny.
1: I'm not mocking you. At what? any
0: time, I could turn these death rays around and shoot them at you, so just I, know
1: that. I apologize.
0: What do you think? The people at Ragu have nothing to say to the people at Tide? Where have you been? Living under a rock? Imagine this, Johnny.
1: Imagine your,
0: your shows on the air,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: You're on the phone with your therapist, and you're like, I think I inhaled a penny. Oh, I inhaled a penny. And you right. know, like, you didn't inhale it. And you're like, no, seriously, I think I have a penny up my nose, and okay. whatever. And this is going on endlessly, driving people through All right. Yeah. Suddenly, a ray of sunshine breaks through the filthy clouds, and you hear this little theme song. What, you have, you have music prepared there? You don't have to use this one, but let's just say you do. Mm-hmm. And then me comes on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, it's time for Sacred Cows once again. John Ellis, Gregor Ehrlich, navigating the world with Sacred Cows. This week, let's talk about your sneakers. Hey, I just got a brand new pair of sneakers. I was walking through the airport and I stepped on some gum, smelly gum. Mm. What am I supposed to do about that?
1: How, how are you going to turn that into some kind of like uh, a radio essay? I mean, so you, so you get some paper towel and you, and you, and you scrape the gum off your shoe.
0: Are you not listening to what I'm saying? Every episode would be me taking on big industry. Well, how is trade. this?
1: I don't understand. I mean, people should just stop, you know, throwing gum on the floor.
0: Yes, they should, but they're not going to do that. But if the sneaker industry made little paper galoshes on the underside of your sneaker, every time you step on gum, you just peel one off and throw it away.
1: Then you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get any friction on the ground. You'd end up slipping all over the place on, on, on your paper. Simple
0: solutions to everyday problems that everyone can relate to. Mm-hmm. This is my mission.
1: Okay, what else you got?
0: Okay, i got another one. Imagine this one, okay? If you're anything like me, you're sick and tired of brushing your teeth. Every day, back and forth, up and down, in and out, every tooth. You understand, like I do, that there's a better way, and that the government is keeping it from you.
1: uh, I'm sorry, may I interject? What what, what are they keeping from you, exactly?
0: You think that we're supposed to be working the same way that we were working a hundred years ago? Mm -hmm. You're working like a galley slave in there every day in your bathroom, scrub, scrub, scrub. You don't think anything's a little suspicious about that?
1: Suspicious?
0: You don't think someone's holding back technology, innovation, and toothbrushes?
1: Why would they do that?
0: Johnny, do you ever think about how many books you would have written by now if you weren't busy brushing your teeth? No. You think there isn't a better way to brush your teeth? Last night I had an insight. I was laying in my bed, and I'd fallen asleep a little bit watching TV, and I rolled over on the remote. And it left like a kind of an indentation in my back. And I was thinking, why doesn't somebody invent a flat remote where the buttons, instead of sticking out, stick in? For Sacred Cows, this is Gregor Ehrlich reporting.
1: So basically, you're going to get on the mic and you're just going to air your petty grievances about sleeping on the remote control. I I, I don't don't understand.
0: You know, Johnny, I think you've lost perspective. Going out to your expensive corporate lunches, you're in bed with all these guys. The electric car, the gumless shoe, the squirtless tomato, all, all all the good ideas, they all get squashed. And you know why they get squashed? Why? Because Jonathan Goldstein has a sign on his back that says, for sale. But me? Look at my back. I'm not for sale, Johnny. I'm not like you. I'm the, not in bed with the corporate fat cats doing disgusting things and giving away the keys to the kingdom so all the little guys guys, are getting well, humiliated every day stepping on gum on the sidewalk with their stained shirts. Well, what
1: do the fat cats have to do with you I mean
0: you tell me. I'm starting to think you're on their side.
1: You know, I thought, I thought the whole idea of this was so that you could redirect your hostility on, onto something that isn't me.
0: You sit on a pile of pillows every day eating bonbons and you expect me to just roll over and play dead because you think your corporate sponsors are going to be offended? I have
1: no blow corporate sponsors.
0: Well, I'm going to blow the whistle, John. Me. I'm going to blow it loud and long from the highest mountaintop, and you try and stop me. I will punch you in the face as hard as I can. Ha- what? Metaphorically, and when the blood spurts out of your nose and spatters all over the ground, metaphorically, I'm
1: going to rejoice. I don't want you on my show. Me
0: and my band of a million invisible secretos are going to come on the Sacred Cow
1: Express,
0: and we're going to roll right over you with our straight talk because our steamroller is made ta- to crush out liars like yourself who metaphorically are going to swim in their own blood in the streets and we get through with them. I'm not putting it on We're this gonna brushing our teeth the whole time with laser beam-driven toothbrushes. On Wiretap today, you heard Gregor Ehrlich and Jonathan Goldstein reading The Last Golden Calf Salesman of Sinai. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Birdwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Wednesday evening at 11.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.